Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from the independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I am very excited to be joined by the wonderful Carrie Hope Fletcher. For those who don't know, Carrie is an award-winning West End star and is currently playing Cinderella in Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical. She's also a bona fide YouTube star and now a best-selling author. Today she joins me on the show to discuss her latest book, With This Kiss. We discuss the process of writing romance novels, where she gets her inspiration from, and what drew her to write about a woman whose kiss gives her the ability to see how someone is going to die. It's a fascinating premise that I never would have come up with. I'm so excited to get started. Hi, Carrie, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am really good, thank you. So tell me about this novel with this kiss. What is it about? I know I just gave away quite a central plot line. But <laughs> That's all right. People will find out soon enough. Um, <laughs> it's about a woman called Lorelai, who, as you said, has the power to see how someone is going to die when she kisses them, um, which means she's sworn off all romantic relationships because she just doesn't want to go through um, the trauma of seeing how the person that she loves enough to kiss them, she doesn't want to go through seeing how they're going to die. And she also wonders what's the point in a relationship if you ultimately know the ending what's the point in reading the book if you know the end of the story um so she's sworn off all relationships that is until she meets the wonderful Grayson um and Lorelai is a hopeless romantic at heart she's so invested in books and movies uh, more specifically books being ad- uh, adapted for the screen um so she always throws herself into these really romantic stories and loves them because they're so hopelessly romantic um so she actually finds it very very hard to swear off romance as a whole which means when she meets Grayson it's all that more difficult to uh to swear him off as well <laughs> mm. it's a great concept and I mean it's such a it's, like I said it's such a unique idea the whole seeing how someone is gonna die kind of premise how did you come up with that and what kind of drew you to that really interesting uh power that she has yeah I've always really loved a dark story I grew up really loving Tim Burton um like Sleepy Hollow Corpse Bride um I I love all of his stories but I love how all of his stories do have an element of romance to them um even things like Beetlejuice like there's a whole element of romance to the Maitlands and how you know they interact with each other and how they both die together and how they're going through this journey together um so yeah, I, I just love a dark story, but I'm, I am also a hopeless romantic at heart. I've always loved a, a you know, a, a romance, whether it's dark or, or like your classic rom-com. Um, so kind of combining those two things has always been a really big passion of mine. Um, and I had yet to write a book that had kind of skewed towards the darker side of things. Um, not this much anyway. Um, so yeah, I kind of took that challenge for for this one um and really enjoyed kind of combining uh the the two the the dark side of things with the light and fluffy romantic side of things <laughs> well i think romance is dark 
isn't it? It is. <laughs> it can be. Yes. When you break it down, unless unless it's a mutual um, affection for one another, which it rarely is, uh, mm. there is quite a lot of darkness in love, as we talk about on the show quite a lot. Um, so I want to ask you a bit about fate because I think so much of Lorelai's power is rooted in this idea of you know knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and even though the thing she's predicting is about a person's death, obviously a lot of that then dictates her relationship with that person and whether she wants to attach or detach from that person yeah. knowing what she knows. So I want to ask you a bit about this idea of fate when it comes to relationships, because I think so many of us, we kind of cling on to like, oh, it's meant to be, if it's meant mm-hmm. to happen, it's going to happen. How do you sit with that? And do you think believing in fate when it comes to relationships is a positive and healthy thing to do or can it actually be quite damaging? There's a there's a huge question within the book about her power, and she she asks um, herself whether you know when she kisses someone and sees how they're going to die, is that a changeable thing, or is she sealing their fate by kissing them? Is is her kiss literally the kiss of death? Is she making what she sees an inevitable future, or is it something that can be changed by mm. that individual's actions from that point onwards? Um, and there's she kind of ends up testing that out within the book. Quite a dangerous play, a game for Lorelai to play. Um, but yeah, I I've always been fascinated with the idea of fate, and if if we're all just on a path that has been dictated for us, that you know we don't know yet, um, or if it's ever changing, if every decision you make leads to like a fork in the road and and we choose one or the other, I'm completely and utterly fascinated by that. And yeah, I think the question of relationships comes like ties into that so heavily because we do romanticize these ideas of, you know, I'm with the one I'm, this is meant to be, I met you for a reason. Um, and often if we kind of cling on to those questions, especially after a relationship has ended, you know, it's all wonderful when we're leading up to a relationship and we're like, oh yeah, I've met the one. This is the person that fate has led me to. I have met this person for a reason. And now the rest of my life, our paths have merged and that's that's it. But then after a relationship has ended and you've broken up with someone, you're then left with, well, that was, I I thought that that was the person I was meant to be with. So why has fate now, like, was this always meant to happen? In which case, what a cruel thing for fate to do to lead me to this person only for them to have broken my heart or to leave me in this state of (laughs) despair. Um, Yeah, you can kind of latch onto those questions and drive yourself crazy after a relationship before a relationship they're peachy but afterwards not so much I think weirdly I think that's quite a lot of comfort to be found in that there isn't there like if you if you cling on to this idea particularly if you're going through a period of uncertainty or darkness or in the wake of a breakup and you kind of go back to this idea with like okay everything is happening exactly as it is meant to happen Mm. it does give you a source of reassurance doesn't it because I think it it tells you that everything's going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. yes, you had this relationship and maybe it didn't work out, but maybe you weren't supposed to be with that person forever. And the person that you are supposed to be with, if they exist, is still out there. And I think there is, you know, I know that I, when I've been through difficulties in my personal life, I've often sought the help of like a psychic or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally get it. Yeah, because people tell you everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be fine. Like, yes, I know everything's going to be fine, but I want someone to tell me everything's going to be fine who actually knows it's going to be yeah. fine. <laughs> I need someone of authority to tell exactly. me that it's going to be I okay. Someone who can, yeah, someone who can see into the future. Yeah. Um, and 
I know before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about tarot. Tell me mm. about what draws you to that, because that makes a lot of sense that you've written a book like this and you're interested in that kind of, Yeah, I don't want to call it spiritual, but what's what's the word for it, um, I guess? I have no idea. I guess it is spiritual in a sense. I guess it is in a way, yeah. isn't it? Spiritual, yeah. I, in my head, I'm thinking witchy, but it's not witchy. <laughs> it fills it. It fills it. I totally get it. Um, no, I've I've recently really become interested in it. And I think it is because I recently went through a breakup and I have a tendency to try and force good things to happen. I'm constantly chasing good things and seeing, you know, where I can find opportunities to make, uh, you know, good things happen for myself. Um and it's exhausting. It's exhausting to constantly be trying to not, I guess, well, yeah, I guess it is trying to force things to happen for myself. Um, and I need to learn just to sit back and go, do you know what? What will be will be. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Like it, it, I don't need to put myself through the stress of trying to make stuff happen for myself. And I've, like you said, I've gained a lot of comfort with tarot cards, um, with doing like a reading every morning, even if it's kind of just like a nice ritual, a morning ritual to go through. It's kind of nice to have a thing that I just do every morning, which kind of brings some comfort in that sense. Um, but also doing the past, the present, the future. And if the future card is something positive or even if it's negative, it's like, you know what, it doesn't matter because it's, it's going to happen regardless. And just knowing that or feeling like, whether I know it or not, just feeling like I am on a path that's already been laid out for me and what will happen will happen, whether I tamper with it or not, whether I try and force it to happen or not. And it just gives me, um, it gives me comfort and it makes me relax a bit more. It makes me go, good things will come my way, whether I'm trying to force it or not. So just chill, yeah. chill Fletcher. Yeah, me chill. too. Have you, um, have you ever tried Reiki? no but a friend of mine swears by it I just tried that and um I would recommend if you're if you're going down this route and finding this stuff interesting and helpful I I had it a few weeks ago and it's it always really freaks me out I've had it once before and it really freaks me out because you don't tell them anything at mm. least I did I haven't when I've done it and they they do the Reiki and they pick up on all of these signals based on your energy and they suddenly just tell you all these things about your life that they never would have known yeah and it's it's bizarre <laughs> um but it's really helpful and there's a lot of talk about you know being on the journey and being at the start of something and having like a shift of tectonic mm. place you're, you're 28 right 29 yeah 29 okay so sort of like Saturn return kind of situation yes I've like. recently read about that as well <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that in the air I think um, yeah it, it's funny, I watched, um, last night, I watched this brilliant film called The Worst Person in the World. Have you seen that? No, not even heard of it. It's really good. I highly recommend it. It's a Norwegian film. And it's okay. about a young woman who has just turned 30 and is kind of questioning every aspect of her life, including like her relationship and her career. Mm. And she's just very, it's just full of like uncertainty. And I think it really kind of characterizes the, the latter half of your 20s, which I think right. feel more angsty than ever before I think because of because of losing two years of the pandemic yeah yeah of course I know there's probably going to be a lot of um skeptics listening into this podcast going they're talking a load of old nonsense (laughs) but I think but I think whatever like brings you comfort do it if it's not hurting anybody else if it brings you some sense of um of comfort and peace and um relaxation because I I feel like it really makes me just chill out and stop stressing about things that I definitely cannot control I can't control what's going to happen tomorrow I can only control me and my my actions and and what I do and say 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this rolling their eyes probably, but, um, yeah, but that's I think it, it isn't it? You fundamentally. Comfort. Yeah. And I think when you break it down, fundamentally, all we're saying is there are things that are going to happen that are completely out of your control. Yeah. And that in and of itself does provide a huge comfort because it's just like, well, there is only so much I can do. All I can yeah. do is, is control my own thoughts and my own behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the power of the mind is, is more than any of us can really reconcile with. So mm. if you, you can tell yourself, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least I hope so. That's what I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to ask you a bit about one of the consequences of Lorelai's uh, power. Because obviously, yes. you know, she, she keeps it a secret from the majority mm. of people in her life, as you would if you had something like that. And it, it's loneliness and it's an incredibly isolating experience for her. Mm. How do you think that affects her romantic decisions and kind of hiding, hiding something? And, oh, I think it, I think it massively affects her romantic decisions because if she can't even trust her own mum or you know her her family and her, she doesn't even have many friends. Joni is a, a character who's her her best friend, and that is pretty much the only friend that she has um, who she does entrust with this secret. Ultimately, like in the end, eventually. Um, but yeah, I think if if you can't even trust your inner circle or if your inner circle it, it consists of one person, the chances of her talking about those secrets with a romantic partner are slim to none. There's just no chance, um, which is another reason why she's kind of sworn off relationships. It's not just the trauma of seeing someone that she loves die. It's also getting past that part and revealing this part of herself that she thinks is monstrous. She thinks it's you know, the worst part of herself. It's something horrendous. It's an affliction. It's something that she would never really want to share with anyone uh, because she feels like they, like she barely understands it herself. So how could she ever expect anybody else to understand it? Um, which I think on a, 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 to a lesser extent, we all deal with on some level. Absolutely. I mean, this is what I was going to say in many ways. I think it's a metaphor for a lot of the shame that women in particular carry around with them mm. when they enter into relationships. You know, it could be something like um, an insecurity about the way you look or mm. an insecurity about a part of your past or yeah. something. You know, we carry all of that baggage, for lack mm. of a better word, into a relationship. Were you kind of thinking about that uh, when when you came up with this idea of like, something to sort of symbolically represent a lot of the yeah a lot of the shame that women carry around with them I suppose yeah um a little bit it was definitely in the back of my mind um whilst I was writing it but it's funny now that I've gone through a breakup it feels even more relevant than when I was writing it and was within a relationship um because one of the first things I said when I uh went through my breakup um, I was with that person for five years, essentially four years, like officially together a year whilst we were on tour and like seeing each other. But it was still five years of getting to know someone and having someone get to know me. And the first thing I thought was, I can't be bothered to go through that again. I can't be bothered to go through revealing those parts of myself that I don't really let many people see because they're the more private parts of myself or they're the the bits that I would only ever show someone who I really, really trusted that was the first thing I thought. I was like, I can't be bothered to go through all of that again. I can't be bothered to go through the stress of wondering whether this person is going to understand or whether it's going to be a massive turnoff and they're going to go, oh, actually, I've changed my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's funny what you say about breakups because it does make you think, like, 
once you've been through something like that, you're like, my God, why do we do this to ourselves? I am yeah. never going to put myself through that. I'm never going to fall in love again. It's just yeah. torture. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's so it's so lame because everyone always says to you, the only thing that is going to help you is time. But it is yeah. genuinely the only thing that works. <laughs> it, it really, really is. It's just excruciating to, to get yeah. through it. <laughs> It is excruciating. Um, one of the other subjects you touch on in the book is um, negging, which I <laughs> yeah. Um, for those who do not know, listening, can you describe what negging is and where it comes from? Because you reference a book in in yeah. your novel that is based on the real book. I'm guessing yes. where it comes from. Yes. <laughs> so negging is um, it, it's where you kind of backhanded compliment someone. Um, so for instance, you say, oh, you're, you're really hot for a girl with big teeth. So like you're, you're kind of putting someone down at the same time as giving them a compliment. So it's like a really weird disguised insult and kind of makes someone feel insecure, but then also really flattered that that person has paid attention to you in spite of something that you're insecure about. <laughs> it's horrible. It's awful. Um, and yeah, I actually, I, it comes from a book um, that I don't really know that much about because I've tried to stay as far away from it as I possibly can. But the reason I know about it is because I was walking back through Piccadilly Circus on my way home from work when I was in Les Mis. I was about 21, maybe 20, 21. And this guy came up to me and I had my headphones on. So instantly I was a little bit disorientated by the fact this guy just approached me out of nowhere. And he shook my hand, but then wouldn't let go of my hand. And he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to give you my phone and you're going to put your number in my phone and we're going to go on a date next week. And I was like, uh, uh, and he literally thrust his oh phone God. into my hand and I gave him his phone back and I said, I'm really sorry. I've got to go and get my, my train. And then he said, oh, I, I, you sound American. I usually don't date American girls, but you sound really hot. And instantly oh. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what is going on? And then he explained to me, I kind of like tried to rebuff his weird come on. Uh, and he said, oh, a bunch of uh, like me and my friends, we're trying out this, this book. There's this book that we've all got and we're trying out, like we're trying to see how many girls we can pick up using this book. And I was like, yeah, I've got to get my train. I'm not going to be one of them. Oh. See you later. <laughs> and I ran as fast as I could into Piccadilly Ch uh, Circus tube station. Holy shit, I cannot yeah. believe First of all, I cannot believe that that happened. And I cannot believe that he admitted yeah, that you were you it. Yeah. <laughs> I was a guinea pig. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on right now? Oh my God, that is wild. Yeah, yeah, so this book, so I've written about this book. It's called The Game. It's by a guy right. called Neil Strauss. And it is all about, it's basically a pickup artist. Hand sure. And, but for a long time, it was seen as this like ultimate Bible for straight men on how to pick up women. And it's only really been in the last like decade because I think mm. it came out in like 2004 or something, right. like, early noughties, that people have started to realize that it's basically a guide for pickup artists and like it has a lot of like associations with like incel culture and it's obviously incredibly problematic. But this so negging bizarre. thing, it's so bizarre. But the negging thing, I think, is still very prevalent in flirting mm. culture, and it it it's it's difficult because it it works. <laughs> I think it works mm. a lot of the time, but it's obviously really toxic. Do you, yeah. do you I mean, do you, do you think, do you agree? You think it works? Um, I, I've owned, that was the only instance where I'd, I'd come across okay. it, but I would not be surprised if that was something that, uh, 
that yeah that worked because it is people just preying on the most yeah. vulnerable insecure parts of of others and exactly. of course if someone kind of picks apart something like that but then straight away offers you a compliment based on that thing yeah I get I totally get yeah. why people wouldn't and sometimes they're really well disguised sometimes you wouldn't notice negging unless mm. you were really well aware of of exactly what it was so if you weren't clued up on stuff like that I think it would be very easy to miss someone very cleverly negging you and to totally. fall for it but I think in your instance, it was very obvious. So <laughs> obvious. So obvious. So much so that he just told me that that's what yeah. he was doing. <laughs> yeah, quite different. But I think yeah. normally, but it's, it's, it's interesting how it works because I think it's about like preying on like an insecurity and kind of like, like peeling away at your self-esteem, mm. but in a way that is giving you a glimmer of hope that, yeah. So you think, okay, so they've taken away my self-esteem, but it kind of makes you want to get their approval even more. Yeah. And that, that is why I think psychologically it works and that's why it is so annoyingly clever. Yeah. But it is it is obviously really toxic and I feel like it is fundamentally a form of manipulation. In that it way, is. Of course it? it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's horrendous. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So this is your fifth novel. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, so tell me what drew you to the romance genre in general? Did you always want to write romance novels? And if you did, you know, what were some of your inspirations for that? For me, it was actually, uh, it was always the magical realism side of things. That's what I always read when I was growing up. I loved things to do with magic. I loved... Um, I loved reading books that were set in the real world but had a magical element to it. Um, I wasn't so much on the side of like Lord of the Rings, which is kind of, you know, set in its own world. I loved being within our own world, but with magic thrown in. That was the thing that I just, I think it's because it made me believe that it, it could happen to me. Maybe one day I will stumble onto Hogwarts. Maybe one day I will find Narnia in the back of my wardrobe. Like those things really excited me. Um, so that's what I wanted to write. But much like Lorelei, I am a hopeless romantic. So there was absolutely no way my books were going to go untouched by romance. Cause that is just mm. something I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I grew up on Disney, <laughs> so I'm forever looking for a happy ever after. So I've just been writing my my own until I find it myself. <laughs> um, for those who don't know what magical realism is, could you just briefly explain what the genre is and how it works? It's kind of that. It's 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 a, a, the real world, but with magic thrown in. Um, so it's, you know, everyday life, um, but with elements that are so fantastical that 
but because it's real it makes you, it genuinely for me it makes me feel like it could happen which is what makes those books it's it's what draw, draws me to those books so much is because it's a it's a wonderful um sense of escapism without going too far away from your comfort mm-hmm. zone yeah i think it it fits really well with romance doesn't it because there mm. is obviously so much um so much of romance particularly modern romance is rooted in this idea of fantasy and, mm. and magic you know is is that is that part of why you think the two kind of go so well together because there is this I think I do think there is it's gonna sound so lame but I do think there is something quite magical when two people like each other the same amount at the same time and it just happens like that yeah is quite magical isn't it yeah if anything that's the most fantastical storyline two people who fall in love and there's no problems whatsoever <laughs> that's yeah, the biggest yeah. fantasy of them all really yeah um, that, that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah exactly um and yeah I, I do think it, they do come hand in hand I think magic and, and romance um are always sort of destined to be together and I think we know that because of of Disney movies like every Disney movie you watch it's not just a straight romance there's a fairy godmother thrown in or there's uh, a, a witch who curses a girl to be asleep forever and can only wake up with true love's kiss. Like those things always come hand in hand. Mm. You mentioned Disney. What What are some of your favourite kind of love stories from Disney or beyond or from literature? Oh, such a good story. Am I allowed to say all of them? I'm such <laughs> a sucker. I'm such a sucker for a love story. Um, even yesterday I sat and sobbed to the second series of Bridgerton and I was so I was just rooting for the pair to get together so badly that every time an episode ended and they weren't yet together, I just had to watch the next one because I was like, no, I need to know that they're going to be okay. <laughs> I love that. I, I wish, I think I've become more of a cynic from doing this podcast. I think I used oh, no. to be a real hopeless romantic. And I think now I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to end up miserable. Like I watched Bridgerton the second season and I... Oh, I found it so annoying. Really? <laughs> I found it so annoying. I said, like, I've been ruined. I, I just don't. I'm like, no, it's useless. They're all they're not meant to be together. She's betraying her sister. Like, it's it's really oh, toxic. No. What are they doing? But I'm pleased that you found the good in it. What, what else aside from Bridgerton? Um, like, I mean, like I've said, I've mentioned Disney a million times. And I, I just, I love a Disney movie. And I, to be fair, though, I love that Disney are kind of moving away from romantic stories and then moving more towards like family love and friendship, like Frozen. It's the story of Arnold yeah. and Elsa onward. Um, it's about the the love of, of the brothers and their father. Like I really, really love that they're moving more towards family and, and friends and the sort of the more platonic love. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I actually, I'm so pleased you mentioned Frozen. I love Frozen. Mm. Um, and I watched Frozen 2 at the weekend a few weeks ago. And it is such a beautiful story. <laughs> it really is. It really it's is. So fact, I think I prefer the second one to the first one. I think it's only because I've watched the first one so many times now. Um, but yeah, I, I really do love that they're, they're moving away from the romantic storylines. Not because they aren't fantastic and they aren't amazing, but they've done they've done it. They've done a lot of those <laughs> now. Um, and it's just wonderful, I think, for kids to sit and watch movies and have this idea instilled in them that, platonic love is just as important as romantic love like because yeah. I think you know <sighs> romantic love is wonderful and finding someone who you want to be with for the rest of your life is a wonderful wonderful feeling but you're not always going to have that you are going to find yourself single so yeah, what happens right. then what happens exactly. then and that's I- when you need to fall back on the love of your friends and the love of your family 
Yeah. And I think so much of that, like, you know, you've been reared on these Disney films that, and these rom-coms that do really champion romantic love as the be-all and end-all. And like you said, you know, that leaves you feeling like when you are single, that you are severely lacking something yeah. in your life and that there is like something empty. And of course, that's not true. But unless yeah. you see more of these stories celebrating platonic love and family love in the way that romance was previously celebrated, mm. then of course you're going to feel like that but like you said I think things are changing and you know you mm. have the single positivity movement and all of that stuff and the rise of like self-love and self-development we are getting there but I think it's yeah. quite hard to consciously unlearn the things that you've been conditioned yeah to think and it's because love. the end of every movie is a happily ever after and you only get the happily ever after when the protagonist has found their mate mm. And so it instills this idea in us that, oh, I'll never have my happily ever after until I found someone to be with. And it's like, no, you can have your happily ever after whenever you choose to have your happily ever after. It doesn't matter whether you're with someone or not. Mm. There's people yeah. around you who are constantly pouring their love into you that sometimes we ignore or we don't quite focus on it in the way that we should because we're constantly looking for that the one. We're looking for the one. I want to talk to you about writing fiction just in general and how much, and I guess about romance, but also just generally, because I think as a novelist, particularly as a female novelist, it's something that uh, gets quite rudely assumed is that you have no imagination and that your novel is just your life on the page, which is obviously not true. But of course, there is an element of incorporating certain things that you might have experienced or people that you have met and fictionalizing them in some way. I imagine, um, I mean, that's certainly how it is for me. I'm trying to write a novel at the moment and I am definitely fictionalizing parts of my life. But I think it's interesting to try and find the boundaries there. Yeah. And um, how do you go about choosing, you know, what thing and how much basically how much of your own life do you draw on and how do you go about setting those kind of boundaries it's inevitable that you're going to put part of yourself into everything that you write because it's coming out of your head and the experiences that you're drawing from are things that will have happened to you or if your character's sad you're going to go all right what what made me the most sad in my life or if your character's happy or excited about something you're instantly going to draw back to when you were happy or excited about something in your life. And it's the same with acting. Like that's what method acting is. It's when you draw from your own experiences to evoke those same emotions on stage. No one ever has a go at an actor for doing that. But for some reason, they they do it with writers. And I found um, it quite hard to put my own, um, like myself and sort of kind of Easter eggs as I would call them, into my own writing because I'm on YouTube and I'm on I'm so heavily on social media and sharing who I am that people can spot those things a mile off. They know. But if I was just an author who had never gone onto YouTube, who had never made myself an Instagram account, who'd never touched Twitter, I'd still be putting all those same things into the books and no one would know. But because people know, people then question it and say, oh, you've got no imagination. You're just putting yourself into a book. You're just rewriting what you already know. And it's like, of course I'm writing what I know. What else would I write about? (laughs) It's such a bizarre criticism, isn't it? But also I think you have to be, you know, a lot of people who don't write novels and don't write fiction won't necessarily be able to empathize with that Mm. process and that creative process and so I think it's very easy for people to be very critical and people I think are unfortunately in this 
quite sexist society that we live in, a little bit more critical of female creatives um, than male ones. So I think it's um, unfortunately just a patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, was, I was listening to um, uh, a thing with Neil Gaiman and he was uh, talking about how he um, had this incident with uh, getting stung by some bees with his kid whilst his kids were with him and, and, at the same time, I was on a real Neil Gaiman kick at this point and I was listening to a book and that same story was then in, I want to say, Coraline. I think it was in Coraline. Really? And I was like, oh, but that, so that's, that's, he's taken that from his real life and then put it in a book and no one's ever questioned it. Funny that. Yeah, never happens. Never happens to men <laughs> when they do anything. Um, finally, I want to ask you about some comments that you made in an Instagram post recently. Um, yes. You wrote in a caption that you had been struggling recently and that someone you loved at the start of the year left you, which I'm guessing was in reference to the breakup that you yes. mentioned. Yeah. Um, and that this on top of starring in Cinderella, which is a role where, as you write, your character is constantly put down. Mm. Um, you wrote, she's told she's so physically unattractive, she could only ever be loved by someone who can't see, that no one could ever love someone so shockingly plain. She's called a goblin, a hag, no one would... Shag, I'm guessing that's what that is. And none, and I see what they did there. The rhyming, yeah. <laughs> and none of this seemed so bad when I was coming home to someone who loved me. But suddenly, those words started to hurt, started to poke at dormant insecurities and rouse them from their slumber. I think that makes total sense, mm. first of all. And it's also, I, it's really interesting you've spoken about this because I think that's something that no one in the audience coming to watch that show would ever mm. have thought of, unless cause it's obviously so unique to being an actor. Mm. Um, but of course hearing that time and time again every night and obviously mm. when you're acting you have to get into the process of that character so I completely understand why that would have an effect mm. on you personally um, I want to ask what made you want to share that with your followers and how you're coping with those feelings now and how your followers responded as well did they did they help mm. you after reading that I mean the reason I wanted to share it is because I've always been very very open and and happy to share how I'm feeling um, but also when I, I first posted about the fact that I was going through a breakup, I was flooded. My inbox was flooded with people who had recently also gone through breakups with long term partners, people who had broken up with their, you know, their their wives, their husbands, their partners, like their really, really long term partners, um, but had broken up with them years ago and were still feeling the grief and the loss of that. Um, and so I I. I felt like that spurred me on to be even more honest about how I was feeling um, because I knew that there were so many other people who were going through the same thing. And that kind of solidarity, even with strangers, helps it helps you get through it. And having people and also having people message me and say, I went through something similar and that was a year ago or even if it was, you know, like 10 years ago. And I my life is amazing now. And even though it still pains me to know that I went through that and there's still the memory of the pain. I'm now living my best life. Um, mm. So I was always going to be willing to share how I was feeling on, on this because I know the power of the internet. I've witnessed the power of the internet and that solidarity with people from all across the world before. And my followers were, were amazing. Everyone who follows me on Instagram was so supportive. They were so wonderful. Um, they were so, so incredible. Um, and yeah, it's been a strange thing going back to work because we had a, a little break for COVID because everyone came down with it. So we uh, we closed between December the 20th to February the 3rd or the 4th. So it was like a two month break. And it was in that break where I went through a breakup. So coming back to work was uh, a daunting thing anyway. 
um, knowing that I would have to sing songs like I know I have a heart because you broke it and far too late to sing a love song. I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to go back with a broken heart, singing these songs about having a broken heart in front of a thousand people every night. How the hell am I going to get through that? Um, and yeah, it's, it's very strange what you pick up on based on the circumstance that you were currently in. So I never thought twice about being called a hag, no one would shag when on stage, when I was coming home to someone who loved me, who would shag me. <laughs> I never, I would never thought twice about those things. But then suddenly when you're on your own and you're feeling vulnerable and you've been rejected by someone, suddenly listening to those things, like I'm well aware that I am playing a character, that I am Cinderella, but suddenly there's a little voice in the back of your brain that goes, yeah, but you were cast for a reason. Maybe, maybe you, you are that ugly. Maybe you are that repulsive. Maybe that's why you were cast. And maybe that's why you were rejected by the person that you were with for five years. Suddenly this evil little voice in the back of your brain starts piping up from nowhere. And you're like, hang on a minute, six months ago, I never even thought about this. Six months ago, these lines were just lines in a, in a play that you're in playing a character. But as soon as you start feeling vulnerable and you start feeling insecure, it just puts you into a completely different place where you start viewing everything around you that you've, you know, that you're so used to, you start viewing it in a completely different way. Mm. How do you cope with those thoughts now with that little voice? Is it Has it kind of um, gone away over time, as we said earlier, like it was just about time or is it something about you doing doing the work on yourself? How do you deal with that? Um, I've been doing a lot of therapy and, and counselling and, and then just by myself doing a lot of reading, uh, lots of self-help books. But as you probably have guessed from this podcast, I love a chat. I love talking uh, and I've got amazing friends around me. There's a couple of people uh, within Cinderella who are going through a similar situation uh, as well as I am. So we've kind of grouped together and are kind of getting each other through it. Um but I think communication is is the key. It's telling people that you feel that way. It's talking about it, whether it's someone professional or it's just a mate who you call up at three o'clock in the morning whilst you're sobbing. I think talking about it is the only way that uh, you're able to unravel those thoughts in your brain that have kind of gotten too, like the knots have gotten too tight. I completely agree. And just like you said, just being honest and vulnerable and open and and putting it out there so that mm. you're not internalizing it yeah. and, and feeling like, feeling worse because you can't talk to anyone about it yeah and it activates it it sits and festers in your brain because suddenly you start obsessing over it and you start overanalyzing everything and it's so good to voice those things and then to have someone say no 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 that's not true though that that yeah. thought that that thought that you've just said about yourself it's not true that's your insecurity talking it doesn't mean it's real it just means that you're anxious about it it just means that you're insecure about it um, whereas if you just leave it in your head, you convince yourself that it is true mm. and then everything gets that that much darker. And I think what can happen sometimes in the wake of a breakup as well is you start to romanticize certain parts of the relationship and you start to forget mm. the bad things mm. because your brain, it's something about how the brain deals with the addiction of love and withdrawal of it. And so then when you don't have it, it starts to fantasize over everything yeah. and, and it becomes, you know, a memory becomes a memory of a memory of a memory. Yeah. And, you just remember something completely differently. And that's why, like you said, you need those people to kind of bring you back down to reality. Like, Absolutely. that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did this, this, and this, and this. Like, remember everything that actually happened there. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm just taking everything five minutes at a time. 
Like there's no point yeah. in looking forward to the future and going, oh, well, what am I going to do in six months time? What if I haven't found someone to be with in a year's time? What if I enter into my 30s still single? Like it doesn't matter. Five minutes. Just for what, ha- what What can I control within the next five minutes? I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and I'm going to read a chapter of a book. And then I'm going to get on the train and I'm going to go to work literally five minutes at a time. That's all you can. That's all that's within your grasp at that mm. moment in time. That's really, really good advice. I'm definitely going to take that on board myself <laughs> as well. Um, it's time for our lessons in love segment. So this is the part okay. of the show where I ask a guest to share something they have learned from their previous relationship experiences. So what is your lesson today, Karen? My lesson today is that you are whole on your own. You are a complete human being. You do not need someone to complete to complete you. You are not someone's other half. You are not a half of a whole. You are not a piece of someone else's life. Your life is complete on its own. You are a whole human being. That is it. I think that, that's, yeah, the end of, I think that's the end of the lesson. That's, <laughs> no, that's so important. And I think, you know, like I said, the single positivity movement is kind of like mm. coming back in a big way. And I think that is a really crucial part of it because... When you look at the way the world operates, so much of it operates for couples and it Mm -hmm. it puts a disadvantage on single people, particularly Mm. on single women. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that is slowly shifting, isn't it? And it's about, I think, because the mentalities are changing and society is adapting more and people are getting married later and later. Some people aren't getting married at all. Um, and I think it's so important like to unlearn that language, like you said, like other half as well. That mm. in and of itself is so damaging when you break yeah. that down. Yeah, and I think that's my lesson because that's something that I really struggle with. Like I like being in a relationship and I like being a companionship I like being a partnership with someone but I have to keep reminding myself that being a partnership does not mean that you are two halves of one thing you are two individual things that come together to form a really great team you aren't part of the same entity Mm. that's a really lovely note to end on thank you so much Carrie it's been so thank you for having me it's been great Honestly, and that's it for today, everyone. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you're a new listener to Millennial Love, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you are more of a visual person, you can now watch this episode on independent TV. You can see our beautiful faces. Um, You can also keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.